Here they come! Welcome to episode 60 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Kelly Hogaboom to discuss the miniature work in Robinson Crusoe on Mars. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Hello, Kelly. Good evening, Eric. Good. Yes, it is afternoon now, isn't it? Good afternoon, Kelly. That's right, yeah. Just a little All right. Yeah, and it's quarter past eight in the evening over here. All right, so here we go. Um, I know you're a fan of uh, Ib Melchior from uh, when we did Angry Red Planet. That's right. This is our second Mars film, isn't it? At least our second together. It's, yeah, it, it's the second of ours together. It's our third one because I've already done with Matt War of the Worlds. So okay. this is our, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, this is our third return to Mars. So cool. And I was trying to remember if we did Journey to the Seventh Planet, but I think I mentioned it, but we ha- we didn't do it together. Um This but- is this is when Melchior's name came up because you said you were researching that and, and stumbled across Angry Red Planet thinking it was Journey to Yeah, I was I got them mixed up, yeah. So yeah, another Mars film. Today. Yeah, yeah. So, so, how do you know it? I mean, how how far do, back to you and Robinson Crusoe on Mars go? Oh, I just watched it for this. I mean, I'd heard it mentioned on the B movie cast, but I hadn't seen it until I watched it for this podcast. Oh right, I th- oh no, I th- I thought you had seen it around about the same time as Angry Red Planet and everything. No, I hadn't seen it, and uh, I. You're not the only one who thought I'd already seen it because I was talking about it the other day with a friend and he dropped some spoilers and I was like I, I haven't seen the film and he said oh I'm sorry I'm like hey, I'm like this film is like really old so you can't you're not in trouble for dropping a spoiler I mean well yeah. I'm, I'm glad then that I didn't say anything you know when I was um, you know um, proposing this one oh good good all right. Oh, right oh oh so you're a recent uh mm-hmm. okay no no me I mean um. I go back to the 70s with this. I didn't see it in the 70s, but in the 70s I had those books that I keep going on about. And in I'll put it on Facebook. In one of these books, there was a beautiful colour photo of one of the bad guy ships, okay? And I had already seen George Powell's War of the Worlds, and I was already, even at that age, early teens, a massive War of the Worlds fan. And and it's a very distinctive shape, isn't it? These yeah. uh, these manta ray type ships, yes. and it's like well, that's a War of the Worlds ship, and um, and but it's not War of the Worlds. It's Robinson Crusoe on Mars. It's like what is this? And all I knew of Robinson Crusoe at that time, I don't know if you're aware of it. I don't know um, how well known it is across the pond there. But when I was growing up in the seventies, I think it was originally from the sixties. There was a TV series of Robinson Crusoe. I think it was a French-Canadian black-and-white weekly TV series. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, no. I'd, I've never seen any televised version of Robinson Crusoe. Oh, it, it was amazing. It, it was so beautifully shot. It was so evocative. It had the most amazing um, 
theme song. I'll have to put that up on Facebook so people can follow the link. But yeah, no, that and and that mightily impressed me when I was much younger. And so I knew, oh, that, I knew who Robinson Crusoe was from that. And then to see that there's a science fiction Robinson Crusoe with War of the World spaceships in it, you know, I couldn't wait to see it. But I don't think I saw it until TV showed it sometime in the 80s, I think. I okay. definitely videotaped it and I had it for a while, but uh, I got it on Blu-ray last year sometime and, and it looks fabulous on Blu-ray. You so you got the two thousand was it two thousand and eleven or two thousand and seven release that you're talking about? I think about? it. I think it's the eleven. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a brilliant uh, print. It really is. Yeah, I mean, I watched the Amazon streaming version, um, but it was still, you know, it's a really beautiful film, and it has that look that I really, really like from the early sixties um, color sci-fi films. Um, I so you did you ever read the book Robinson Crusoe? Yeah, much later, much later than that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's weird because the order that I, I saw things, I saw the TV show, you know, right. then I watched the science fiction version and then I read the, the novel that both had sprung from, you know, see, so it, I, I watched it in completely the wrong order. Yeah, well, I, I as I've mentioned, I I grew up without TV, so for me it was books and movies, and uh, I I read the book. I loved the book. I read it many times with a lot of Robert um, Robert Louis Stevenson back when I was, mm-hmm. you know, eleven, twelve, and um, you know, the book. Now look, the book is three hundred years old. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. That's and it's still a great story. And um, so you know, I didn't realize when I started watching the film. That it, that it so closely paralleled the events of the original novel. I thought it was just kind of a reference. So that was pretty cool. Like I started to realize partway through the film that we were probably going to get a Friday character. Um, mm. and I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I don't know. I just didn't think it really was like a Robinson Crusoe story for some reason. It's very strange. I, have you seen the actual, um, cinema release poster for it? Um, I've seen a few posters. I'm not sure which one. Are you talking about the one where he's holding Friday? Who's yeah, like, where uh, he's yeah. holding Friday, who kind of looks like Tarzan. He's a big bulky yeah. guy, isn't he? he looks- and you've got and you've got a flying saucer in the sky. That poster's yes. nothing like the, right. the, the the film whatsoever. Well, that but that happens all the time, right? The poster usually, yeah. looks, you know, amazing and. Um, yeah, uh, Friday looks totally different. And yeah, yes. I love the poster. It's beautiful. <laughs> I did wonder though why why put a flying saucer on there? Is it because uh, they thought oh science fiction science fiction should be flying saucers? And I don't know the producers or the distributors said no, you can't have these strange white manta ray ships. You've got to have a traditional flying saucer, otherwise people won't come. Maybe it was something like that. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, and even the um, U.S. ship doesn't look the same um, on the. There's one flying in the air that doesn't mm. look anything we saw in the film so yeah and the two guys well well well, no i mean kit our hero he's his spacesuit is pretty accurate but the rest of it isn't it makes you wonder if the artist who painted the painting um actually has actually seen the film yeah i don't know um (laughs) i'm looking at the poster now and it yeah the monkey looks good and friday's got his bracelet on uh, so yeah, they got some of the details like super down, but like you said, yeah, the ships look totally different. It's a great poster. See that? Yeah, but it's not an accurate poster if the only yeah. thing you can say about it is that the monkey looks good. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not a fan of monkeys, so I was kind of dismayed we had to watch a monkey, but it was the monkeys. Oh really? Yeah, they creep me out. Not even a monkey in a spacesuit. No, especially not. <laughs> so. Oh, I, I, see, I, if I had known all this, Kelly, I wouldn't have asked you to do this one. I would have thought, oh, I would have picked did. something else. My my husband watched it with me, and we actually really liked it. It was a. I'm really glad I saw it. It was a good film. Oh, good, good. I'm glad I filled in a little uh, empty slot in your uh, cinema going knowledge. Yeah, well, my other podcast guy is making me watch 80s slashers, so you you definitely have me watching better films. (laughs) Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, well, we'll go into a clip then, and then we'll start discussing this film, shall we? Sounds good. Oh, Mona! That's an interplanetary vehicle! Oh, Mona, they've come to get us! First thing we see is the really rather nifty yellow spaceship hurtling towards Mars, don't we? Yeah, and which reminded me of something you would build. <laughs> well, I was going to mention this. I would like to make it. I mean, it's a very simple design, this uh, MGP-1 spaceship. Um, really simple design, but what's putting me off are the two little survey craft either side. So they're mounted on the side of the ship, right? Um, yes, yes. And they look like, they reminded me of like a moon lander. Um, so that was a little odd. Uh, what did you not like about them? Um, no, it's just that I, I could make the, the, the main shape pretty easy, but then I would have to make in scale two, you know, these little shuttles alongside it, you know, and it's like, I might do it one day, but we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, that's but, what... Yeah, it, Okay, you you didn't mean they put you off like you don't like them. You meant oh no, I like them. I like them. I I I, lo- I love this uh, time in science and space exploration where you had these most amazing designs and paintings of what future moon landing vehicles would look like, and and they have elements you know that eventually came into fruition in reality. But I I like these tall rocket shaped things with spindly legs. You know, you see it an awful lot. You saw it um, mid sixties in Lost in Space. They had like a landing little craft thing, survey craft as well. I like I I like all these quirky little designs. Yeah, well, um, I I really liked the the two different kinds of um, U.S. Navy shuttle craft in this. They're Mm. beautiful. And what's very unusual in this film, I thought, is the fact that it's yellow. Yeah, because usually everything everything's either white or it's silver. If it's right. a spaceship, it must be silver. But here you've got a yellow one, and it's moving really fast. I mean, speed plays a, a big part in the special effects in this film. It, it's hurtling towards Mars when we first see it, isn't it? And it's loud too, which is um, it was a little different from mm. your typical. You know, it's so yeah, yeah. and and whoosh, it's gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and and then we get the titles. 
and after the titles we're inside and and here we have Adam West as Dan Mac McCready. Right. Now I can remember when I w- first watched this because all I had this was this still in my science fiction book. It was a big surprise when I first watched it that spoilers for anybody out there that he's not the hero. And then he gets bumped off pretty soon, doesn't he? Yes, and that's what my friend told me a couple days ago and um ah. but so yeah, that was a, that was a spoiler, but yeah, of course we modern audience we're going to expect that we get to see him for the rest of the film that he's going to be the main the main guy yeah because of course this is 1964 it's two years before he shot to stardom in batman right right yeah and he's with mona the monkey yes (laughs) sorry sorry (laughs) i i I could almost feel you flinch then sorry about this i didn't know you had a thing about monkeys um yeah, but we got Mona the monkey in a natty little spacesuit, right. um, and she's seemingly floating in zero g. But it's pretty obvious she's being held by someone. Yeah, someone someone's got their arm through the wall of the set, holding her, and is turning his hand. <laughs> I think it's something as simple as that. Yeah, but there was a few monkey handling incidents where you're like, it just seemed a little rough on the monkey. But um, yeah, so she's kind of floating, quote quote. Yes. And then he, gra- he grabs her and has a chat and feeds her some banana paste and um, very very sweet. What what do you think her function is on this mission? Because you've got two adult male humans. What's the monkey for? I don't know. And not only that, but don't they they have an exchange the two guys on the ship where it's almost like it was in question whether they would be keeping her or like jettisoning her into space <laughs> and. My, I, I'm pretty sure that they plan these missions out to every detail, so that would have not been something they were still discussing. So I, I didn't get that at all. And, of course, we're not far off, when they made this film in 64, we're not far off at a time when the only living things that were going up into space were dogs and monkeys. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I guess it's, it's a logical thought to think, well, when we start going to other planets, we'll take monkeys and dogs with us. And exactly. bung them down onto the planet first or something, I suppose. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we left a bunch of dogs out to die out there in space, which is terrible. Oh, yeah, they fired them up and left them up there. You know, or they yeah. came back down and burnt up. I mean, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> oh, blimey. But we also meet uh, Paul Manti, who, who's Kit Draper, the co-pilot. And again, he's the co-pilot. He's, like, subservient to the boss. And yes. mentally you're thinking, well, you know, I know who the hero's going to be in this. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And he's like he's like cooking, isn't he? Going to make the dinner, and yeah, he's the yeah. second the second in charge for sure. Absolutely. And I love I love I love their cockpit here. I love the all the display panels that have got open sections with cogs whirring uh, <laughs> and I, gears and stuff like that. I love the instrumentation in this film. I thought it was just beautiful. Mm. Like that little counter that they have the analog yeah. counter I, I that was really cool and really developed i mean someone spent a lot of time on all these um instrumentation panels it is really cool and it is really developed but it's a health and safety nightmare i mean you've got all these things move, move, moving parts and a monkey yeah. <laughs> right right next to it yeah that's true <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um, they get a meter a meteor comes on the scanner uh and it's on a collision course 
Um, so they, they've got to take, um, you know, evasive action and they put on their regular pilot helmets. This was a throwback for me to Angry Red Planet. We were discussing this in, in that show where, you know, they just wear in like, you know, um, high speed, you know, pilot helmets from these experimental jet planes, aren't they? They're not yeah. space helmets in the slightest. No, no, they don't look like space helmets. No. So they, they fire their retros to avoid the meteor, and they're forced down into Mars's gravity. Right. And the, sh- the ship in those shots, I thought, uh, it's, that, it's almost see-through. The, 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 they haven't composited the, the elements too well. You, the ship does appear see-through a couple of times. Okay, I missed that, but okay. Oh, right, right, okay. And Kit, he ejects in one of their little escape pods. Um, and so that's a miniature effect as that disengages. And we get quite a large-scale miniature of it as it lands on Mars and topples over. Mm-hmm. And out he staggers. And I thought we get a really well-done full-size version. Uh, again, somebody's gone to a lot of trouble yeah. to, to match up the miniature work with the with the actual size and vice versa it was beautiful the the so what are you calling the little landing craft i don't know what you call it Um, i don't know because they don't mention it i mean that they they must be like survey craft i think the original intention if that meteorite hadn't happened one or or one of them or the other would have gone down in one of those done the survey thing and then eventually took off back up to the ship and uh gone back to earth yeah, so the the big ship is called the MGP-1, and the little ship, yes. I'm looking at a picture, it says MGP-1B. Um, I'm, <laughs> assuming, I'm assuming they just made one of those MGP-1Bs, although we see mm. two of them in the film. But they were yes. really, I, th- I thought they looked really great. And, um, you know, the, I always laugh because that crash, when it's sitting there crashed, it looks so tidy and clean and settled. You know what I mean? Like mm. there's no dust yeah. floating around or any, it's just kind of placed there but it's very it's beautiful just there yeah 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 um kit he lifts his visor up and he begins to choke <laughs> now you know it, 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 in the modern world we had this with angry red planet don't they think to actually test the at- atmosphere first yeah you know? they're just kind of like it seems like it's okay and then they um yeah i was confused about that for a minute my husband had to explain to me he's like oh it's obviously breathable air it's just really thin because i'm like mm. why is he like I, I couldn't understand. I'm like, does he need the helmet or not? It took me a second. So yeah, yeah apparently it's somehow breathable, but um, it won't. That and that becomes a major part of the film, obviously. Yes. A major plot yeah. point. Yeah. There, there is air. There's just not much of it. Yeah. Which, what a what a terrifying concept, right? Mm. Mm. I mean, that you know, you've got a few hours. I mean, you can you can spread it out, but you're gonna. I mean that that was um freaky for me to think about because we Some, didn't something. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, just... I was going to say. So I was going to say. Um, you know, yeah, that is a freaky thing. But later on, we'll we'll come to it shortly. There's a moment that where he does something in the film, and I'm thinking, well, that's 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 the end. You know, um, you might as well top yourself. You know, but we'll talk about that when we come to it. Okay. All right. So. We also, we see Mac, he ejects, you see his ship disengaging, and um, we then see Kit down on the ground, and we've got some jarring shots. You've got Kit by his ship on a patently obvious soundstage, and then you've got location work of him done in Death Valley, you know, Uh 
Um, and you, yeah, yeah, it's quite a noticeable switch between what you're actually looking at, isn't there? I mean, you know, you've got you've got a trained special effects eye, Eric. I don't know. Oh, I suppose that. <laughs> yeah, I don't oh, catch. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah. Um, the the especially the um, atmosphere that they have uh, put in okay, that was one of the liabilities of the special effects. You know, when they're showing the atmosphere, that that's where it looked kind of uh, fakey to me, and um, you know, Angry Red Planet e to me. So. Yes. Yeah. It's either that or it's a, a, a complete star field. There is no atmosphere. Every time he looks up in the sky, you, you see stars in the sky, even though it's daylight, you know? Right, right. Yeah, not super consistent on that. Uh, no, no. I like the next bit. He, he, he hears a strange roar from the back of his ship. It turns out it's a bit of, you know, metal just rattling and that. But he pulls out his weapon, which is a revolver. Oh, my God. We laughed so hard. Because that was a big, old-looking gun. I mean, talk about safety. I mean, mm. what what the hell? And it doesn't have a safety on it, and he's, like, poking stuff with that gun. That gun was yeah. funny. <laughs> it, it's funny, but also what is funny as well, this is 10 years or so after Forbidden Planet, but there's in this film, you've got no futuristic outfits, and you've got no futuristic weaponry. Now, I don't know if that's a budget thing or what, but it is a bit jarring that here's this man on Mars, and he brings out something that you would have seen in prohibition times you know yeah yeah that and that reminded me of um oh it the creature you know when they're shooting the gun <laughs> the terror, yeah. inside the space but those those guns just don't they take you out of the sci-fi for sure when you see this giant black old gun that was pretty funny so even even more in that film more than the guns it, it's the hand grenades that they use in that film. <laughs> yeah very, that World yeah. War Two hand grenades. Yeah, yeah. Inside a spaceship. <laughs> mm, yeah. Indeed. All right, so Kit, he finds a cave, and he also finds that the rocks inside, they can be burnt like coal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, shortly after, he sets off to find Mac, as uh, we keep getting a reminder that their mothership is still in the sky because it keeps going over, doesn't it? Yeah. Through a starfield sky. He keeps looking up, and you see it go over, but... There's no atmosphere. There's no clouds. It's just the stars as it flies over during daylight. Right. And this is the part where I, I clued into the fact that he was going to be the sole survivor in the film because they're showing him, not McCready. Not Mac. Yeah. Figuring out all of this stuff. And I also like that this is where you, he has that communicator box that has yes. all the buttons and the tape and, I really like the look of that box too. So mm. the, this was kind of um, the, I, I get anxiety in survival films like this because I just think I'm too lazy to try to like to work so hard to survive. But this is where that <laughs> part of the film starts, where he's he's now settling in to try to figure out a way to live and and reunite with his uh, with his pilot. Well, he does reunite with his pilot. Unfortunately, his pilot is dead. Um, his ship has crashed. And, and we don't actually see Adam West, which I think was quite nice, you know. Yeah, we just see his arm. Yes, yeah. Um, and he buries him there, and that's when we find that Mona did make it. Unfortunately for you, Mona makes it through the whole film. Well, now would you have would you have wasted the oxygen burying a man? Because that is a lot of work. It is. Yes. Yeah. I'd be yeah. like, you're buried in your spaceship, buddy. Like that. That's your that's your tomb right there. <laughs> and that's a pretty barren Mars. I don't think there's much in the way of bacteria or whatever to uh, to decompose either. 
Well, it's not your Having problem. said that, no, 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 no. Later on, we do get a skeleton. So there, yeah, there is bacteria. All right. That's right. <laughs> All right. I'll take that back. Um, we zip forward a little bit and he's collapsed in his cave and, and, and then finds out that the rocks give off oxygen when they're burnt. Right. So he does this really nifty thing of decanting it into his air tanks. Which was unconvincing to me, but okay. Hmm. Hmm. And he tries to get the ship under command every time it comes over. He, he tries talking to it and, um, and, and getting it to, uh, to land, but fails every time. I like in this film, all this stuff right up until now has been quite serious and quite factual, hasn't it? Yeah, it's pretty, um, I was reading about the film and it was kind of regarded as being more serious than previous sci-fi efforts as far as trying to actually put together somewhat scientific, um, you know, events as he tries to survive. And of course, mm. you know, the, the most recent example of that is the Martian, right? That came out yes. a couple of years ago where supposedly all the science is sound, or at least it's really developed in the story. But yeah, this film was notably more realistic, I guess, um, than, mm. than the ones before, according to the film history I was reading. So yeah. that was cool. I did like that about the film. Because now yeah. that he's solved the oxygen problem, his next problem is water. Like, he's solving these things methodically, and that was pretty cool. This film reminded me, I mean, it is like a film of two parts. You have the, the serious, almost factual um, uh, feel to the first half, and then we go more into fantasy and science fiction in the second half. And it reminded me a bit of um, From Dusk Till Dawn where it starts out as a certain type of film and then all of a sudden, yeah. you know, everything switches and you've got a completely different film for the rest of the film. Yeah, which I tend to like that in movies, actually. I like that because they also, and we haven't got there yet, but they also start to um, address the not just survival needs, but the social needs of this guy. So, yeah, it changes. But um, yes, so yeah. that, that air, I, was, I wasn't sure how the air thing was going to work out. And so now we have that solution. And like you say, he's trying to get his craft to land, and that's not going well. And no. I, the next thing he does is um, he, he gets the, he's noticing the monkey is not drinking water. That's right. Yeah, she doesn't want any water. <laughs> so he feeds so, her a bunch of salty snacks and won't give her any and then follows her because he, he yep. starts to believe that she's found some water. Yes. And you find it she has. Right. You must have liked the caves that they find there. That that set was pretty cool. It is. I mean, I, I, I like all this. Fact. I mean, you've got all you've got in this film in the way of location work was, I guess, a few days in Death Valley for the some of the, you know, the wider shots, but everything is studio bound, but it's done really, really well. Yeah, I, I really loved their sets. Um, I thought they were really pretty. I like, I, I really love what's coming up next because he, he finds where Mona's getting the water from. There's tons of it, but he also finds vegetation uh, there. Yeah. At, which looked an awful, I can't make up my mind. Is that sausage or is that salami that they're using <laughs> inside these pods? It looked like a dry salami to me. Yeah. 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 He finds it in the water. He sees that the monkey's eating it, and so he just starts eating. He doesn't wait 24 hours to see if the monkey is okay. He just starts <laughs> eating it, right? Peeling. That plant that they made, that was a cool special effect, too. I liked how that plant looked. It had the little it, pot. It, it was yeah. nice and rubbery, wasn't it? It was almost like, you know, the pods you get on seaweed yes, or something it, like that. Yes. 
Yeah, we have a lot of seaweed types here, but it did remind right. me of seaweed. And uh, he peels it, and it, yeah, it almost looks like a meat product inside. It does, he, doesn't it? So now he's eating it, and he's weaving with the the fronds or whatever, and um, yeah. yeah. Very cute. A little bit later, I mean, you said just there about social needs. I mean, we get a, a bit of an odd sequence after he's cooked the plant uh, where Mac returns and yes. knocks quite eerily on the door because the door is just a piece of crystal or something, isn't it? And you've got the shadow of Mac on the other side. Yes, that was a creepy scene. And that's that's a scene where because I, I had realized at this point that it was really going to be following the novel Robinson Crusoe, I already knew it was a dream. So, mm. you know, that's that's a case where if you didn't know that you would you would wonder what was going on. Is that a real person? Is that a reanimated? Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, so that, yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. but I knew it was a dream. So Adam West comes in and he's, he's all quiet and creepy. And that's when, um, our main character wakes up from his dream and he records yeah. a diary, diary entry saying, you know what? I've got my survival needs met, but I'm going to go crazy because I've been here yeah. four months without hearing a voice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the next time we see him, he's playing his bagpipes. He's now made bagpipes. <laughs> That's right. What, what a worthwhile thing to invest in. <laughs> yes. There you go. He's playing bagpipes to a monkey as you walk across Mars. He's, he's playing the song Dixie. Did you catch that? Yes, he is. Is he? <laughs> Why? Okay. So. Oh. Yeah, right. Well, that's loneliness for you. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. But he finds a grave of an obvious human. Um, and I, it's nicely done how it's revealed. You know, there's no shock moment or anything like that. He just stumbles across it. Mm hmm. That was confusing for me. Um, right. I mean, immediately I didn't understand what was they were going with that. So then after he finds the grave, he decides to blow up the mothership. Yes. And try to try to be more low key on the planet. And I actually didn't quite understand that decision on his part. No, this is what I, I was alluding to earlier. If if he's reached the point where, right, the next time the ship comes over, he orders it to self-destruct because he's resigned to his fate that he's never going to go back to Earth. He's got a revolver there. Why prolong it any further? I don't know. I and I I just I just think, you know, if there was even a chance, you'd probably keep that mothership going, even with the risk of what he thinks is a hostile presence on the planet. But, you know, I don't know. See, I, I, I was thinking maybe he would have done that if he hadn't found the body because he then finds that the, the skeleton had been murdered. So he has, hides any sign of his camp. So maybe that's then taken his mind off of that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so this is the round about this point. This is where the film changes gears and we move from one feel to it to another because he gets tracking beeping on his tracking even though his ship's been destroyed he thinks it's a rescue ship come to get him right and instead here we go we get the war of the world ships right um so we have instead of the copper finnish manta ray ships of war of the worlds they're now white they've lost their cobra neck and they've got a very logan's run style red crystal on the underside, haven't we? Yes. And um, to me, they looked way more like an animation than mm. the War of the World ships, which to me looked like a real thing floating in the air. So 
Well, they were. I mean, that's how they did it. I mean, you know, that they did hang them from piano wires and they filmed it. I think you're right. I think these are miniatures because the way they zip in and out of frame so fast, you know, there's a zip and then there's one there and zip away he goes again i'm pretty sure that's animation but it's brilliant again we've got this speed thing going on yeah. just like we did with with kit ship now we've got this and i don't know i don't know if this actually was a f source of inspiration but in the star wars films when a film goes into hyperspace or comes out of hyperspace you have this motion blur and yeah. then the ship and yeah. this is exactly the same thing you know, like 14 yeah. years before. I'm wondering if it maybe it was an influence to the ILM guys. It was a really cool effect because it was so unearthly and creepy because they were almost uh, just a blinked out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, yeah. like you said, this, this little bit of blur and it um, definitely made them move in ways that were not like a human um, built craft. That was pretty cool. No, no. And they've got great sound effects as well. Yeah. You know, I, I like the sound effects of the, of, of the, uh, <laughs> The, the lasers firing and they're very aggressive they're just showing up shooting they move shoot they're just bam 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 yeah. they're they yeah. Yeah. very quickly establish that this is a very hostile um force that that's yes. on the planet and and he, he videos them with a very very clunky device <laughs> yeah it looks like a hair dryer yeah he it does he, he kind of puts it over the ridge while he's hiding and he scans the you know, because he doesn't want to poke his head up, so he films what's down below. Yeah, I found that a bit confusing because you don't really get an establishing shot that he's at the lip of a crater. He's videoing them, and then he kind of like sticks it over a little ridge, and it's not until you, you see in a minute just what he's filmed that you realize he's actually filming something that they are uh, shooting at that's down there. Right. right. Uh, yeah, um, so... His man Friday then appears. Oh, That's Victor right. London. Right. So, yep, pops up, doesn't say a word. They get shot, or some rubble falls on him, and he grabs the this. <laughs> so Victor London um, is in some kind of a fright wig and some brown face here, which was a yes. little uh, cringe-inducing. But, you know, especially if you know anything about Robinson Crusoe, you know, you get you know exactly where they're going with this. This uh, is Friday, yes, exactly. yes, yeah, and I, and he's got the same sort of bracelet that was on the skeleton. Yeah, does he have one or two bracelets? I think it's two. I, I thought it's so two. two, yeah, but so yeah. he's got bracelets and a little loincloth and a little like some kind of hat thing. Yeah, and he's pretty quiet, totally silent, yes. and uh, our hero drags him back to his cave. Um, yeah, gives him and then on lecture i'm the boss right yeah and on the video he's filmed they that they, they watch what's on the other side of the crater and he sees a big ship and slaves working by guards right did you and recognize what those guards are wearing no i'm no they're the spacesuits from uh, destination moon oh okay how did, good I, catch <laughs> yeah 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 no 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 they're very distinctive and but this is what this is what I don't like about... Well, well, we'll talk about this at the end of this bit, but when you see who the bad guys are, you've got blokes in, you know, regular spacesuits. That doesn't match at all what we've just seen floating up in the sky. There's no way I can believe that people like that are occupying and operating those ships. I reckon those ships are like robot drone ships or something like that. 
Well, yeah, because the space suits have that big, clunky, um, kind of like a deep sea diver look, right? Mm, and you've got yeah. just these regular human-looking guys in there. You're right. It doesn't match. No, no. Um, but he calls Friday Friday, and I love the way when he calls Friday Friday, he apologizes to Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, that the movie got a little bit meta there, for sure. It did, didn't it? Yeah. And, you know, just like in the novel, he tries teaching Friday English. Well, yeah, because um, for, for several minutes, he doesn't know if Friday has the capacity to hear or mm, speak. Yeah. Which I commented to my husband. I'm like, it's pretty easy to test if he can hear you. Uh, but, yeah, so he eventually figures out that Friday can make noise, and then he starts saying... You need to speak English, basically. <laughs> pretty, pretty culturally sensitive there, so. Indeed. Oh dear. All right. But they go out. They they spend some time, and we'll go forward a bit where they find the ruins, and they right. find many of uh, Friday's folk dead. Uh, the guards have left and killed the slaves. Yeah. And it kind of so the film starts to point out that as long as Friday has his bracelet on, which they can't get off of him. Hmm. The, the, the enemy crafts are gonna return and keep hunting him. Yes, yes. And I thought that was odd that they would be returning for one slave. Presumably, these slaves are disposable. You know, the guards have left, they've left the planet, and they've killed all the slaves. The slaves aren't that valuable if once they've done whatever you want them to do, you don't take them with you, you just kill them and come back with some more. So, there must be a plentiful supply, so why keep searching for one errant one, you know? Yeah, that was I, I, that was a little off. But also, Friday doesn't communicate the, that they need to get this bracelet off of him until, you know, they've been together a couple months at this point. <laughs> you know, it seems like you would say, hey, buddy, you know, we need to get this thing off of me. You know, that was odd. Yeah, yeah. hey, buddy, have you got a hacksaw? Right. Yeah. But a big meteorite hits, and uh, Friday saves Kit from all the ash. Uh, yeah, that. What the? Do you know how they made that ash? No idea, but I don't think it's healthy. I I told my husband. I said they, those actors probably got cancer from that stuff. <laughs> mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It looked nasty for sure. <laughs> for sure, yeah. And, and and we 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 get the Lord is my shepherd. Um, this is this. This is very different from a lot of the films that were out this time, especially genre films, you know, science fiction films, you know? You mean that they introduced a Bible passage at length? Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, at that point, it's clear that... Um, I'm forgetting uh, Paul Manti's name in this. What is the character's name? Uh, Kit. Kit? Is it Kit? Yeah. Yes, okay. Kit. It's clear that Kit... Is at this point after he gets rescued by Friday, he now feels affection for Friday, and mm. he's starting to yeah. look at Friday as another human being. Um, and I liked that turn in the film. And they also care a lot about the monkey. They they make sure to keep the monkey safe. And I actually liked that aspect of the film because I think I think that would happen. You would get that um, preciousness of life kind of experience. So I like that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, fr- Friday's opening up to, to Kit as well. I mean, he shows him that he's uh, from the constellation of Orion. Right. Um, which he calls Alma Lang. Right. <laughs> and 
And he, yeah. I mean, the very fact he speaks, because he, he's been, he was silent for so long. So yeah, they're both yes. starting to, and, uh, Friday has these oxygen pills, right? Mm-hmm. So at, he, when he first, so instead of having to meter out some oxygen, he can just take these pills to stay safe. And yeah. Kit eventually shares those with him, like trusts him enough to take those. So that becomes mm-hmm. a plot point as well. It's almost now a buddy movie, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but he he also says that the enemy, they're going to come back in 60 suns, two months, he says. Is that His how English days... Is getting very... Is it, but is that how days work on Mars? Like, I mean, I, I look, how long is a day on Mars? I know, I know a day is roughly the same, oh, but I, I don't know if a month is roughly the same. Right. I don't know. Oh but, my gosh! But yeah, right. It's almost the same. An hour or one day and forty minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the bad guys come back. They do, and they start blasting the place up again. Um, and so you know, Kit and Friday, they have to go deeper underground. Um, and it's the same. The, it's the same footage. Did you notice over and over again of the, of the ships blasting? It's the same yeah. thing over and over again. They're blasting that the side of where there's already a hole in the rock. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they I, don't like that side of that hill. <laughs> I I found this part a little traumatic because can you imagine if you lived for half a year in this one little camp where you had all of your survival equipment set up? You know what yeah. I mean. And then yeah. now they it gets destroyed and they have to leave. That was stressful. Yeah, and and they travel to the polar ice cap. Why I couldn't? What? So I didn't. I didn't. It's, it's for water. Um, you know, yeah. I, and presumably, you know, the seaweed salami is uh, in plentiful supply under the ice as well. Because he says, doesn't he? Kit goes, "Oh, thank God for water," and Friday goes, "God," right? Which, which is opening up another avenue which they didn't explore. Um, but then you don't get time because then another fireball uh, hits the North Pole. Um, it speeds right up now because you get a fireball hits the North Pole. Kit gets a new signal, and it's the rescue craft. Right. Which and, then sends down a rescue pod. Right. And, um, you know, it took them a minute to find that water. They were close to perishing before they got to that polar ice cap. And did you notice the terrain that they were traveling on when they were all three about to die from lack of water? It looked like no. almost pumice, or it was a very, it looked like an extremely unpleasant surface to walk on, but it must actually exist somewhere in Death Valley. Um, mm. But it was, you know, that was a scene where they were close to dying. They find the water, and Mona helped them find the water. Yeah, then mm. they're up, they almost get, they get an avalanche, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And they almost freeze to death, and that's when the fireball melt, helps them out by melting. You're right, it speeds up <laughs> quick. Because a lot of stuff it, happens, and then boom, they get rescued. And, and it's over because, you know, you have the fireball, melts it, gets a signal, the ship arrives, sends down a rescue pod, and that's the end of it. We, yeah. We, 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 we never see them being rescued. You, we never see them going back. Right. And it it just stops, and it and it just left so many unanswered questions. We, we never know who the bad guys were. We don't know where they came from. We don't know why they go away um and if they were still there when the rescue 
craft arrived, why didn't they attack the rescue craft? And also, and, why was it a rescue craft? Because when he grabs his communicator and says, you know, this is Lieutenant so-and-so of the Navy or whatever, they're, like, surprised to hear him. Hmm. They say, oh, a voice from Mars. I'm like, were they looking for him? Or, I mean, what was going on there? Why were you there then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it does happen quickly, and... If you know, I knew how much time was left on the film because I could see it at the bottom of the screen. But right. it was it was pretty abrupt considering how well and how well paced the rest of the film was. Yeah, and that's what I mean. I mean, I I much prefer the first maybe half and then maybe three quarters. But the last act really feels very very rushed. And as I say, there's so many unanswered questions at the end. For, for, for instance, why were these bad guys bringing slaves? What were the slaves digging up? And couldn't they have gone to Earth and got it? You know, maybe they were going why to, Earth? to Mars. I don't know. I don't know. I just assume they were mining some kind of ore. Um, you know, the weakest point is why the why the enemy and why the slaves would be so humanoid. I mean, that that's some pretty weak stuff right there. You know, they look like people. They could talk like people. I don't know. Yeah. And and like as you say, the the bad guys are humanoid, but the bad guys' technology certainly isn't human-like. And I would have been nice to have just had a brain in a jar or something, <laughs> anything than some guys in like you say deep sea diving suits. Yeah, or even like a you know lizard-looking mask or something. Yeah, that was yeah. A little, yeah. But still, though, it was, I thought this was a great film. It is a good film. It, it it's a good it's a good fun film. Um, with many, many, you know, uh, things in its favor. And I, it really reminded me, especially the once Friday and um, Kit get together, it really reminded me of uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, the, the James Mason, mm. just because yeah. of the, I, I really like the terrain. I like the pretty sets, the caves. And um, to me, it felt like an old school adventure film. And yeah. I, I like that. I like those kind of films. So because that was about the same time, wasn't it? That was about sixty four when they made that. I think it was fifty nine. Um, oh, fifty nine, yeah. right? It just had similar to me. It evoked a similar feeling. Um, and I, I've watched that one many times. I really like that one. So don't they have a duck in that one? Oh, they don't they, have a monkey. They, they have a duck. They have a duck, and um, you know the guy so, eats it, doesn't yeah, it? The the bat eats the duck towards the very end. And so I was worried. Oh. I don't like monkeys, but I also don't want to see one get eaten or killed. You don't um, want to see one fricasseed or anything. So I was glad the monkey lived. Uh, in yeah. The film, so I, wa I watched it uh, with our 11-year-old who had never seen it before. And at the end, I wrote down her verdict. Um, uh, what do you think of it? And her exact words were, I didn't like Friday. The man was having a peaceful time until he came. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, I mean, if he had been the other side of the planet, maybe he would never have seen the uh, the aliens. And if he had sat it out, you know, the uh, the rescue ship would have got, got, going to come anyway. So, hmm. Well, poor Friday. I mean, I mean, uh, his whole race is exploited, and his buddies get killed, and he. You're not sure if he's ever going to get back to his home planet, and I don't know. Well, it's a, it's a, it's going to be for him. It's going to be almost like a Planet of the Apes scenario because he's obviously being taken back to Earth. Earth don't have the technology to go to Orion to take him home, so he's stuck on a planet where he's the only one of his type, and he's just going to be studied, studied and scrutinized 
yep. till his dying day. So it's a bit of a sad ending, I think, for Friday. Uh, yeah, Friday's whole story is is a sad one. Um, <laughs> that actor's pretty interesting. Did you did you look um, anything up about him? Well, Victor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, yeah. On he recorded a few songs based on this film. Did you get a chance to listen to those? No, I haven't. Have you then? Yeah, I and I also saw. So they, I think, for the 2007 release, they put together like a music video, and um, it's got this a song that Victor London wrote and sang. It's actually a pretty mm. cool song. You should check it out. And I, the another footnote is Victor London was the first ever Klingon to appear on screen. I was going to say he. The only thing I know him from is the Star Trek TV series. Yes. Right. He was our first Klingon. Klingons continue in, to this day in the Star Trek universe. So mm-hmm. they've looked it's all very down to Victor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, um, we've been talking about these enemy spacecraft and about how, you know, they are clearly, um, you know, modeled after the... Uh, the war machines in George Powell's 1953 War of the Worlds. Um, now, there, that, there's some um, disagreement as to whether they were reused from um, from that film or whether they were built for this film. And most people tend to think it's it's Albert Nazaki, the guy who you know created them for the War of the Worlds. He's returned, and most people reckon that he made three new miniatures uh, for this film based obviously on the, uh, the the manta ray design because after war of the worlds was filmed they were scrapped and the uh, the metal in those because they were almost you know entirely made out of metal was melted down and yeah. to be used as something else yeah that's what um that's what like imdb says they're just reused for instance but you know uh i'm looking at a book that's saying they're the drawings were uh, cribbed, but not the actual crafts. So, mm. see, I, I I find it a bit weird. I mean, Albert Nozaki, you know, he's famous for designing an awful lot of stuff during his um, during his career, and I've, I find it a bit weird that you know, um, you know, eleven years after creating very classic, iconic, you know, war machines for War of the Worlds, that when he's got to come up with more Martian machines, he's going to just do the same. It doesn't seem quite right. I mean, I, I know, you know, Brian Haskin was involved in both films, and I don't know whether it was him saying, look, that was a smash hit 11 years ago, do a riff on that or what, you know. You would have thought somebody who is as imaginative and as creative as uh, Nozaki was would have rather have done something unique. Maybe he really just liked the design, too. It's pretty it, it cool could design. Be. It could be. Did you see about old Victor London? Um, he was originally intended to have non-human physical characteristics. I did not see that. Yeah, he, he was meant to have hands with just two fingers and a thumb. <laughs> okay. Okay. But they didn't have enough money to do it. Um, <laughs> and he didn't like that. Victor didn't like that. And he didn't like the fact that his costume was pretty much just a loincloth, wasn't it? Yeah, it was kind of like a, a leather kilt. It was pretty unappealing. Um, yeah. And, yeah, he has his whole body is covered in brown makeup. And, yeah, it di- didn't look super fun. He's got no, little no. Egyptian sandals on. and Yeah. Yeah, I think the money was running out at that point. <laughs> um, um, we've also got um, another, you know, 
designer, very famous designer, worked on this film, Albert Whitlock. Uh, he was a famed matte painter, and he did the mats for the film. And he, he really does give the, the film a look of a far more expensive film than it actually was. Yeah, the paintings were beautiful in this mm. film. I really, really liked them. I I always wonder where those paintings end up. Hmm. I don't know. It, it would be nice to, to, to believe that it, it belonged to the guy who painted them and it's part of his estate now, but somehow I don't think so. Oh, probably not. And, and you know, uh, it seems to me like some of these artifacts from films get preserved and some of them get just tossed to the wind, the you know. Junk, yeah. 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 My, so my mom is a muralist and um, she does a lot of large paintings. So I always I always like to look at the paintings in these old films because that's that's like her that's what she does that's something she would love to be involved in so yeah there right. that was a very pretty uh, pastel sort of candy colored world for a lot of mm. the cakes and that kind of stuff so I like mm. the mm. yeah there was meant to be more in it because uh, Ib Melchior he was the original screenwriter but he had to drop out because he had other commitments. Um, and uh, he later complained about the changes that they made because in his original script, there was going to be more in the way of monsters and creatures. Uh, but they that they were got rid of because of, number one, plausibility, number two, money, um, but mainly because they thought that the those sort of things would have detracted from the premise of an astronaut being alone. He's not alone if every, every two seconds he's stumbling across a new monster. Yeah, and I, I think that is a better film, but I always want to see some monsters. In fact, you know, I watched The Martian wondering if some, <laughs> I was mm. like, is something going to pop up here? But of course, nothing did. <laughs> I was disappointed. Right. right. <laughs> so. uh, um, I know you've got a problem with monkeys. I don't know how you feel on armadillos because Mona the monkey, all right, originally was going to be a Martian creature, which would have been an armadillo in a costume. How yeah. How do you feel which, about that? I so you know the monkey's obviously a better choice because it's a more relatable you know it's a mammal so um mm. that you know they made the right choice and I read that that was a, a they had a boy monkey playing a girl monkey so he had to wear a fur diaper to cover mm. his monkey business and uh <laughs> hey they did a good job with that cuz I did not catch that 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 thing was wearing a, a fur diaper and cuz I'm usually looking at the costumes you know so yeah sure sure <laughs> All right, that's that's about all I've got on behind the scenes. What about you? Well, I um, so I wasn't looking at special effects so much as the actors. You know, I I Paul Manti. Um, I guess he was a total unknown or a relative unknown before this film, and um, this that's put him kind of in a cult star status because apparently this film has a a lot of people that really really like it, really treasure it. And I definitely think he did a great job. The film is really down to his portrayal of survival and humanity. And, he, you know, with a with a lesser actor or a lesser performance, this wouldn't have been nearly as good of a film. No, he was really good in it. And apparently he was very disappointed because he thought that this film was going to make him a star. But it didn't do too well commercially. And, uh, you know, his career didn't take off the way that he was hoping it would. Well, and I mean, doesn't that happen, though, where these films aren't really necessarily successful with critics or at the box office or with with uh, revenue? But then later, you know, people like you and me or, or you know, more serious uh, professionals, you know, find the film, love it. It was part of their childhood. They make a film, you know, it it the yeah. 
reputation comes, you know, well after the film was released. And uh, that's just kind of how it goes sometimes. And sometimes you have actors who have a steady career, you know, uh, working on films, but they don't become globally well known until much later. I'm thinking of Leslie Nielsen, you know, who, who was in an awful lot of B movies and awful lot of films in the film, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, you know, like the Poseidon adventure and stuff like that, but then became, you know, massive. What with, you know, the naked gun and police squad yeah. and what have you, you know, so. Yeah, it can go that way as well. You get your recognition, you know, far beyond, you know, your the the main part of your career. Or or like John Agar, who you know, B movie fans know who he is. Classic film fans know who he is. But people in general, the general pub public, wouldn't know him if you said his name. But you and I know, and we've watched many films yeah. with starring in it. And <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, okay, right. We're almost at, at the end. So Kelly, I need a rating off of you, and this is for the effects for the whole film, not just one particular sequence. Um, I guess I'm gonna give the effects an eight. I I love the um the you know the instrumentation panels and the miniatures and the you know the sets, but the atmosphere and the stock footage of explosions and all of that really took um took me out of the film quite a bit. So I'm going with eight. Okay. Um, I reckon nifty effects done well. Uh, you got the added bonus of the War of the Worlds connection for me as well. Not as generous as you. I'm giving it a seven. Okay, so that's uh, average seven and a half. Right on. Right on indeed. All right. Well, thank you for today, Kelly. Thank you. I always love the films that you pick for me, and this one was a lot of fun and um, a good family film. If you have anyone uh, listening who has kids, absolutely mm. great for a family viewing. So thank you so much. Super, super fun. No problem. In a minute, off air, we'll talk about your next assignment, which I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be interesting when we do talk about it, Where what children would make of it now. So uh, um, we'll talk in a minute, okay? Okay, sounds good. Cheers, Kelly. All right. Have a good night. Right. Bye-bye.